Hello and welcome to the very special 30th episode of the Olive Magazine podcast, 30. How very exciting is that? And to celebrate, I think we've got one of our best podcast episodes yet. For a start, we tackle 2016's most pretentious and hard to pronounce trends. We give you some ideas on how to pimp up your hot chocolate for winter. And we talk to a very special guest and star of our latest issue, Sabrina Geyer. So get comfortable, snuggle up with a blanket, a hot chocolate, some brandy maybe. This will all make sense in a minute. And happy listening, because here's Charlotte, our web editor, and Rhiannon, our travel editor, discussing Hygge. That's not Higgy. They're going to tell you how to pronounce it properly, what it actually means. Do you have to live in Denmark to have Hygge? How can you achieve it yourself? And are the British just as good at it as the Danes? I'm Rhiannon, travel editor, talking to Charlotte, web editor today, <laughs> and we're discussing Hygge, uh, which is Colin's second top word of the year this year. Uh, at least we think we are. We're not entirely sure how to pronounce it, but we have it on good authority that it's Hygge. Is that H-U-E-G-A-H? Phonetically. Phonetically, yes. Hygge. Okay, but it's actually but spelled... It's spelled H-Y-G-G-E. That's right. Okay. And it's a Danish thing, yes? Yes. Okay. It, it is a Danish thing originally, although it's been kind of widened out now. We don't have a word for it in English, but it basically means cosy. Okay. Uh, I think it's something more than that. I think it's a bit like kind of slow living philosophy where it's about taking your time, cooking meals, enjoying a cup of coffee um, by, you know, grinding your own beans yes. and putting the pot on, enjoying the aroma, maybe sipping it by an open fire. Okay. Um, I heard that cosy chairs are quite important for Huber. Definitely. definitely. And blankets. And blankets, woolly knitwear. Yes. Um, Candles, candles everywhere, okay. and uh, open fires. Okay, yeah. right. Yes. So, there will <laughs> how be many of those have you got? I think maybe two at home. <laughs> but I have actually tried. I think unintentionally, we try to create a hygge atmosphere. If that's the right context, hygge household. A hygge household uh, in our own home. Just when when winter hits, we try and embrace it by having fires and we put candles out most nights not not for anything special just because it gives a glow it's to nice. the house and I think that's what it's all about isn't it that the Scandinavians are so good at that generally that yes we it gets to winter here and we tend to just sit out the cold and the damp feeling a bit miserable but the Scandinavians really embrace the darkness yes and they make it magical with all these candles and homemade gingerbread and things like that and is it specifically a wintertime thing then no it's not you can um, you know having a picnic on a lovely blanket um, with lovely homemade berries that you've picked is probably hygge as well that's hygge but I think I read on Visit Denmark's website that Christmas is the high season or the peak season of hygge and you can kind of imagine that can't you even here we have our mulled wine and our homemade mince pies and yes. uh, we roast chestnuts on a fire or even if we don't we like to imagine that we do yeah I think we're quite good at coziness 
So it should be quite an, an easy transition for us to be hugger. Yes. Also, I do think we're quite hugger on Olive, actually. <laughs> oh, right. Because certainly in our travel, we, uh, we like the authentic and we like to talk about experiences that are very true to their origins, which is often um, going back to traditions and looking at why you might have rye bread in Scandinavia, but um, pita bread in Greece, or all those kind of things are quite hugger, I think, in a way. So you, you don't have to be in Denmark to be hugger? No. In fact, if you look at our website, you'll see that our feature has gone up this week about some of our most hugger trips of the year, okay. and they range from enjoying seasonal cocktails by the fire in Devon to eating spit roast meats and drinking lovely dry white wine Mm. in the French Alps. It is cosy. It just makes me sort of cuddle yourself. But you, in a way, Charlotte, are our hugger correspondent, aren't you? Because you like, especially Denmark, you do. I mean, and I should say, although you don't have to be in Denmark to enjoy it, that is where the word comes from. So there is a direct link there. But you've done a few Danish trips. Yes, I went to North Jutland last year, which is the most northerly tip of Denmark. And we went from Skagen to Lundstrup. Lundstrup and the Grenin Sandbar, which is where two seas collide together. It's very atmospheric. And I noticed there that not only what people were eating at that time of year, because it was winter, but what they were wearing, like these massive woolly scarves. <laughs> it was just so fashionable, um, as opposed to my rain mac that I was wearing <laughs> for the whole holiday. So I think just putting a massive scarf on. In fact, I, I, we went with Visit Denmark and I asked the... Um, press representative from Visit Denmark what's the easiest way to, to be hugger as she said just buy a massive scarf <laughs> so I think that's quite you know that's a cheap way do. yeah achievable <laughs> yes um, but I also think you know the Scandinavians are very good at rustling up that feeling wherever you are in a way that we're a bit nervous maybe of going outside our comfort zone sometimes we like to plan and prepare and we mm. We have our, you know, if we take our sandwiches on a train in a little picnic thing, they they just manage to rustle it up magically. Yeah. I've been on a couple of trips to Sweden. Well, in my early 20s, I went quite often. And um, I remember one going out in Lapland with this amazing guide who is also very handsome and um, <laughs> rugged, your kind of classic... Scandinavian hunk and he uh, we went for this long walk and then he literally did just start a fire with some twigs and put on a pot of coffee not a flask of ready made coffee but made it from scratch on a fire he'd made (laughs) with his own hands I did slightly fall in love with him Um, but he did live quite a long way away I've been practicing that for years (laughs) just to impress you but then it happened pretty much every Scandinavian trip I've been on it's happened there was another one where I went moose spotting um, as you do in Sweden further south and we didn't end up seeing any moose but just when we were getting really cold and a bit fed up being out and it was dark and wet uh, the guy just opened a flask of homemade lingonberry vodka and some chocolate that he had in his backpack and suddenly all was well in the world (laughs) oh it sounds great it also sounds like an excuse to stay in (laughs) so you don't say oh I'm practicing hookah you don't have to go out anymore no that is a top a top idea yeah stay in and eat <laughs> comfort food well in fact also if you do want to take that approach tune in next week because editorial assistant Alex will be talking about how to create a at home brilliant I shall tune in then thank you very much Rhiannon <laughs> thank you Be- 
big thank you to Rhiannon and Charlotte there. I feel bereft that I'm not in some sort of onesie or duvet suit right now. But if you like the sound of Huga, make sure you keep listening next time for more on it from our digital writer, Alex. And remember, you can obviously go to our website and find out lots more at allofmagazine.com too. Next up, we have Sarah, our drinks writer, and Alex, our digital writer, giving us some inspiring ideas for pimping up our evening cup of cocoa. I've become rather addicted to a slosher brandy of late. Just me. Hi, so I'm Sarah, I'm the drinks writer, and I'm joined today by Alex, who is our editorial assistant and digital writer. Hello. Um, we've been inspired by a previous segment on the podcast about all things Hugo. Um, still not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, I think so. I think that's <laughs> the best we're going to do. We're not Danish and cool. <laughs> Damn it. One day, maybe. Um, because, yeah, the weather's kind of taken a bit of a turn for the worse. It and has. our office is particularly freezing. And it, all I want to do is kind of curl up under a blanket, with the fire, with a nice hot chocolate. Yeah. And so that kind of got us thinking about hot chocolate and how we like to drink it and ways that you can improve on just the standard instant hot chocolate. Yes. Basically. I mean, it's a great thing that you can just pour in a bit of water and add a couple of scoops of powder and suddenly you get this delicious amazing. chocolatey hit. And um, it doesn't even have to have milk in it, like the dairy free yeah like me exactly I think it's a bit more luxurious yeah. with milk but I know it's not yes. possible for everyone um but yeah and then got thinking about how we like to kind of improve how we like to pimp our hot chocolates at home just to make them a bit more special um and it's a great thing to do with kids as well oh yeah well this it. is one for the kids but my favorite thing to do <laughs> is I used to, um, when I lived in France, it was always really cold and I used to have to stay in a school on a Monday night. Oh my gosh. So I used to go to a cafe across the road and have this amazing whisked hot chocolate with Baileys in. I know it's very commercial, but I just loved it. It was so good and it's a really nice nightcap. So highly recommend that. Not in the office, though. (laughs) (laughs) I love a bit of Baileys. Yes. You did a, a really good recipe. Yeah, so for... actually in the Christmas issue, which is out on the 29th of November, we've got a recipe <coughs> for how to make your own homemade Irish cream. And then we've stuck that in a hot chocolate just yes. to make it a bit naughty, super luxurious, because the extra cream in the um, in the liqueur makes it go like even thicker. And yeah. it's, oh. So yeah. is it? Um, is there anything different about the liqueur um, to Bailey's? Is it more it's creamy? Just, or it's just it... a homemade one. It's a bit more punchy because it's okay. got a good glug of, of Irish whiskey in it, obviously. <laughs> Extra measure. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but obviously you can do it. With, you can make hot chocolate with loads of other uh, booze. Mm-hmm. Like? If, if you want to. <laughs> so straight whiskey if you don't want to use extra cream or okay. rum, spiced rum particularly. Oh, yes. It's good because then you get all that cinnamon and the vanilla and it just works really well. Um, I bet coffee that, sometimes. Would, um, because of the whiskey and the rum, mm-hmm. that might be a, a nice way of making it a little bit less sickly. Would it come yeah. through a yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It kind of, um, alcohol kind of takes away the sweet edge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just really... And does it mix, does it mix in okay? Yeah, it's, it's not like going to form any kind of you know, no, layer and stuff? No, as long as you just mix it in properly, it's okay. kind of like an Irish coffee, if you think of it, or a liqueur coffee. Think of it in that way, and it's okay. yeah, delicious, and it's extra warming. Yes, a bit of, booze of course. In it. Yeah, but if you don't want to go down that route, there's loads of other stuff to do. I am a bit of a Nutella fiend. Love all things Nutella, and just a couple of teaspoons. Oh my gosh! Stirred into the hot chocolate. <laughs> wow! Just kind of makes it extra delicious. Yes. No clean eating there. <laughs> no, we don't like clean eating. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's definitely Nutella hot chocolate. (laughs) But delicious. Yeah. I've never done that I have no shame. I've never seen you do that. Do you do that in the office? No, I don't have any Nutella in the office. I find it's dangerous to have it on my desk. Hint, Nutella. (laughs) (laughs) Other brands of chocolate hazelnut spread are available. Uh, I also like doing the same thing with that. You know that um, Reese's peanut butter chocolate spread oh you can get loads of different spreads now can't you yeah like biscoff. biscoff is amazing yeah that lotus spreads really yeah good. anything like that that would be a nice one as well because that's got that kind of cinnamony spicy mm. and we also recently got some brownie oh butter oh my gosh can you imagine is, that in a hot chocolate that would be insane so for gower brownies um there is in wales this amazing brownie company and um they're actually going into the january issue and our quick bite section so have a look at that it was delicious but it was amazing Eat with a spoon delicious yes or put it in your hot chocolate yeah what else sarah um if you want to be a bit more sophisticated yes. um i really like making hot chocolate with a little bit of coconut milk as well okay you can either do it like out pro d those really nice um coconut milk alternatives that aren't the kind of thick coconut milk that you use for cooking right um you still get that coconutty flavor or with almond milk or with mm. hazelnut milk or whatever you want to use just to give it that really toasty kind of flavor and then what i like to do if i'm doing that is toast off a couple of like coconut flakes so they go really golden and crunchy on top and then sprinkle that put some cream oh. on and sprinkle that over Amazing. that's really good <laughs> if you like mint hot chocolate Yes, which very much. I do. There's loads of, I mean, this time of year, there's loads of the high street coffee chains are doing like all their different like salted caramels and uh, candy cane and stuff. If you want to do it at home for a lot fewer calories, I if you're making the hot chocolate on the stove, just put a couple of fresh mint leaves in it. Okay. While you're doing it, so it kind of infuses with the hot chocolate as you're making it. Does it matter if it's milk-based or water-based? No, it would work the same way. Okay. Um, and then obviously strain them out kind of through a sieve as you're pouring it into the, into the mugs. Ooh. Put some whipped cream on, obviously. Whipped cream is a yes. must with hot <laughs> chocolate. Um, and then sprinkle a couple, get some candy canes, crush them up and sprinkle those over the top or stick a candy cane oh. in it. And it just looks really special. It's yeah. quite fun. Um, It'd be really nice to serve, like if you're having a dinner party or you're entertaining in yeah. the winter rather than a pudding. Exactly. And it's also if, like if you've got kids coming, you know, it's festive season, yeah. you've got, you know, the adults might be on the mulled wine, but the kids want something warming. And they want to feel well. grown up and like they've got something really special. Exactly. And yeah. it's super simple, but really, really delicious. Right. Yeah. And as well, another way that you can really quickly infuse is by using, um, do a kind of Mexican style Okay. Hot chocolate. Because it originated kind of, hot chocolate kind of yeah, originated yeah. with the Aztecs. Exactly. Name. Exactly. And it was kind of like a ritualistic thing that they used apparently um, was also good for you i know we were talking about how gin and tonic is good for you <laughs> they used to use it for healing properties so yeah i feel like we're just trying to justify yeah. everything that we, that we enjoy. <laughs> it's good for you i promise <laughs> it's all good um so yeah see so like a kind of bit of a chili spiked hot chocolate oh, so scatter yeah. a couple of chili flakes in or a bit of cayenne pepper don't go overboard no <laughs> um and a couple chuck a couple of cinnamon sticks in there Exactly the same way as the mint and kind of let it infuse and then you get a really delicious, spicy, warming, yeah. Yeah, that's great. really good. Yeah. I also love putting cardamom in my hot Ooh. chocolate because like, cardamom has just got that really fragrant, really distinct taste and it, I it, love can, it can be a bit overpowering sometimes, mm. So, um, but if you just put a few little crushed um, pods in there um, and actually if you don't want to make it at home, um, Paul A. Young do an amazing hot chocolate. 
And a lot more places are taking hot chocolate seriously now. Yeah. Like, obviously, coffee is massive and tea. Mm. There are now, like, loads of tea bars and stuff. But people are actually paying attention to their hot chocolate and not just going for the standard. Yeah, because it's not just, like, a milky, sweet drink. It's, like, no. it can be really, yeah, grown up. Yeah, and it can if you use dark chocolate and use real chocolate, then it can be really luxurious, mm. adult, bitter. Yeah, which, that's what the Paula Young one, it's called Aztec hot chocolate. Mm. And it's made with um, 100% Valrhona cocoa powder. Oh, wow. And Caribbean 66% dark chocolate. And they Ooh. put, like, muscovado sugar in it. Oh, wow. And they have it, like, you know, not whisking, but going, you know, going yeah. round for like all day um, to make it really light. Mm-hmm. And then you can add your own spices. So you can yeah, add um, nutmeg or cinnamon, cardamom, ginger, you can, whatever you yeah. want. And Rococo always also do that. Um, and that sounds really good. Yeah. But then I do also love the really creamy, indulgent ones. Like there's a place in Bath mm-hmm. which has the best hot chocolate in the world that I think honestly I used to um I went to university in Bath and every morning I used to go to Chando's and get um a hot chocolate it's made with these flakes and it's creamy and um every morning <laughs> yeah they they knew my name by the end oh and then also when I left and I went back a year later they recognized me and they were like oh my gosh <laughs> but um that it aside it's incredible and they put the chocolate flakes on the top as well. Oh, delicious. And finally, yeah, from Betty's oh, up north. How could we not Yorkshire, mention Betty's? Um, that is as well, I think it's on on par with um, Chando's. Really? Because it's really, really chocolatey and it's um, a Swiss tea, tea room, so if you didn't know. But they use a mixture of Venezuelan cocoa beans infused with Madagascan vanilla and it's in Ooh. flakes and whisked up with milk and it has cream on top mm. and then extra flakes on the top. Oh, and it's served in this incredible. really big, like, teacup, yeah. which is a really big one. More like a bowl than a... Yeah, really. yeah, like in France, they yeah. always have for breakfast and they dip. They actually put their cereal in hot chocolate. No, that's a bit naughty, isn't it? Yeah, but like, I remember when I first went there, I was like, what are they doing? <laughs> I didn't know what to do and then they pick it up so they, they put all the cereal in the bowl with their chocolate oh, wow. milk or hot chocolate and then they drink it from the bowl. And it's, They know if, how to live, don't they? They, they certainly do, yeah. <laughs> Moving to France, then, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> so if you want to find out any more, we'll put all of these online. Um, check out olivemagazine.com for lots of other inspiration. And yet the Bailey's Hot Chocolate is going to be in the Christmas issue, which is out 29th of November. Look forward to reading that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks to Sarah and Alex. And last, but certainly not least, we have food editor Janine learning about entertaining the Persian way from the start of our latest issue. That's the one with the big T-bone steak on the front cover with Sabrina Geyer. Clue, it involves lots of food. So I'm delighted that this week in the studio we've got the very talented Sabrina Geyer. Her first cookie book, Persiana, has sold over 300,000 copies and her new book, Soroka, is out this year and is fast catching up. She's also this month in Olive magazine written some fantastic new entertaining recipes for us. So welcome, Sabrina. Thank you so much for making the trip to see us. Thank you so much for having me. Now, the first thing I wanted to ask you was um, just to tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are now. Because I know that back in 2011, you were working in a, a pretty regular job that didn't have anything to do with food. 
That's right. Um, I had a job working in marketing um, and I was working in a city firm, although I did actually work in marketing, restaurant marketing. Oh, okay. So you did have a link to the... I did have a link. I kind of was always an outsider to the kitchen. I spent all my time sort of wishing that I was in the kitchen, but never thinking it would ever happen. (laughs) Um, I worked with um, talented chefs like Dan Doherty when he was just like a slip of a boy down from Duck and Waffle. And I just never thought I would suddenly have a career change at 35 and suddenly lost my job and just knew, didn't really want to go back to marketing in events and uh, made a little joke on Twitter about a supper club um, and it just kind of took off, went viral, and I just found myself needing to earn money yeah. and started doing the one thing I, I've been doing since I was six was cooking, and I, I loved it. So at that point, you started doing, was it a weekly supper club or a monthly supper club? God, or? There was no consistency whatsoever. <laughs> I think I could, it was basically, I did this supper club called the French Laundrette, yeah. which was off the back of a sort of tongue-in-cheek of nod French to French Laundry, Laundry yeah. who, you know, Thomas Keller is one of my idols, and he was coming to town at the time to do a pop-up, and, you know, the, the point was he it was £250. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Uh, was, and I just lost quite, my job. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, no, I can't go. I, sh- I said, I wish I could just do a supper club and do it for £2.50 and call it French Laundrette, <laughs> and of course, Twitter. And you did, and that's where it all came. Exactly, and it just went bonkers. And then after I did that, people were like, so when are you going to cook Persian food? You know, the honest truth is I really didn't even think that that would be something that I would doing because I just thought nobody would like Persian food. Because, you know, if you grow up with something and it's yeah, so ingrained it's so in familiar. your culture yeah. and so alien to, to yeah. the people around you that you've grown up with, I was just like, oh, I don't want to do Persian food and then people don't like it and then they insult my culture. And, oh. <laughs> so I, So it just kind of happened and... At the beginning, I remember I had a Persian supper club and an Arabesque supper club and a Spanish supper club and a Pan Asian. So you were kind of going around the globe a bit, just avoiding, not not like a like a little kind of like Tasmanian devil, not really knowing what what I was or what to kind of hone in on. And then you know somebody gave me the best advice ever and said nobody's ever going to care about what you're doing unless you stick to Persian and Middle Eastern. And of course, it was the most wonderful bit of logical information. But yeah. I just really needed somebody to pull me aside. And I started doing it. They started filling. And I, I did them for about four years um, out of my flat working. I mean, I was the waitress, the cook, the I was going to say, it must have been exhausting. It's a, it's a hard way to earn it money. Was. <laughs> it, it really, really was. It was all, it, I calculated it as 27 hours of labour for one night. Oh, my God. <laughs> what was lovely is you open your home and people are were mm. incredibly wonderful and respectful and kind. Yeah. And they saw how hard you were working. They were never disrespectful. They enjoyed the food. Yeah. And, you know, those people really helped put me, you know, on the path of where I am today because that's, I made my name in my supper club. Yeah, and it's a great, I mean, it's an amazing testing ground for recipes, isn't yeah. it? Because you're you're trying things out and people, you're getting feedback, you're tweaking them, you're trying them again, you're Absolutely. writing down all the changes. And in a way, did you... Did your first book kind of come out of that supper club experience, do you think? 100%. My, the publisher 
came to my supper club and uh, they were like, oh my God, like, (laughs) why didn't you get in touch? And I was like, didn't have time, just need to make money. You know, that's, I was just trying to pay my bills. That was really the the honest truth about it. Um, And the next day they sent me a proposal. Because, you know, I hear people say, oh yes, we'd love to do this with you. I'm very much a person who's about concrete. You know, I don't look forward to anything until it's, you know, signed, sealed and delivered and sent to you. It's a much better way to go through life. And they sent me this agreement. I remember I turned it down. I was like, no, I don't want to do that because they... (laughs) They had cherry-picked lots of my recipes and then also added baba ganoush on there. And oh, I was like, no, it's... I, don't, I don't want to write a classic Middle Eastern book. No, that, that's already been written. And I was so like, because I am the consummate book-buying geek. Yeah. I'm the person that every publisher would have targeted to buy books. I bought so many books. And I just thought to myself, do we really need another book with baba ganoush? So I turned yeah. it down. And then they were like, no, 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 we want to do all your yeah. recipes from your Instagram, whatever you want to do. Yeah. So I was lucky. Um, so you you did the right thing, though. You kind of said, that's not me. If you want me, then this is this yeah. is Yeah. And I think it was probably more of a misunderstanding, oh, to really? be honest. I was just... <laughs> no, but we're going to... Yeah, no, but did, did a version of it make it into that? No. Good, good. Because <laughs> there are so, so many different <clears throat> styles of aubergine dishes, and I just wanted to do something that I just thought, you know, I would be really proud of, whether yeah. it's sold or not. I have to only ever do work that I think, yeah, okay, I'm happy with that. Maybe that was the reason it, it sold so well is because you kind of stuck to your guns and you produced something quite unique. Yeah. And, and and you know, there was obviously a hole in the market for that. So were you, I mean, when the book went, because it did, it, the book came out, I remember, um, I think we we had some recipes from it. It was reviewed. Everyone went insane for it. You, you were all in the sort of cookery press and the like, um, the broadsheet like newspapers and stuff and were you, well, I mean, were you surprised by the reaction <laughs> I, I can be really honest with you I think I actually he- hid under my duvet <laughs> for about three months yeah because everyone was calling you up everybody was just you know it was on you know I, I speak loads to the end user through yeah. social media and through um, you know, Twitter and Instagram, and people are like, I'm going to do six recipes from your book tonight. I'll let you know how it goes. Oh, and I'm no. like, oh my God. <laughs> and so I just found it really it was real. It was. And you yeah. just think it's not that I doubted the recipes, but it's just when you're cooking things in your home and you're cooking things it's that are slightly class, different. Yeah. You just think, okay. And you're like, God, I hope it goes well. God, I hope they like it. And, you know, when I did sign the book deal, I honestly thought, God, I hope somebody buys it. Yeah. You know, because I didn't really, I had a London-centric popularity of because I had my supper clubs in London. Nobody really knew who I am. Nobody still knows really who I am. But when you mention my book, they're like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's its own entity. Um, so, yeah, it was um, it was amazing uh, to have so much coverage. And still, like, it's nuts that it's so still nuts. up there. But it's um, great because it's become a kind of, like, modern classic, really, isn't it? Within about how many That's very gracious of you to say so. I can't say, oh, yes, yes, <laughs> it has. <laughs> just, say, just say yes. <laughs> <laughs> so was that hard, like, moving on from that, you know, to your second book was, like, your second difficult child or something? I think you said that in one of your interviews, <laughs> that you felt like your first book was this beautiful girl and the second one was this kind of, like, slightly <laughs> difficult boy-child <laughs> you wanted everyone to love the second one as much as the first. I do. And and you know what? I'm always, it's really hard because like 
Persiana is really like this wonderkind, mm. you know, like with a high IQ and it's really annoying. And I can only imagine, uh, it, like, I was just waiting to see what people would say if they go, well, this is not Persiana. This is nothing like Persiana. Yeah. And, you know, that was the whole intention was like, we've already written Persiana. We're going to write write Persiana too. Yeah. Um, we wanted to, I wanted to come up with something different. But so what I eventually came up with was just the food I eat at home. Yeah. It's Middle Eastern flavors, and it might feel Middle Eastern to say you that maybe you're British and English, and you know. But for me, I know it's not Middle Eastern, yeah. but it is very much steeped in the same ingredients, the same yeah. kit, the same store cupboard staples. It's very much based on instead of buying one spice that you use a pinch of for a recipe and then yeah. you never use again, it's about buying that spice ten times in a year and using it a hundred ways to okay. make something really <clears throat> kind of interesting because that's how I cook I don't like to spend loads and loads and loads and loads of money on making simple food I tend to make totally different flavors and I do it confidently I don't really put pressure on myself I just knock something up for myself yeah but I tend to use the same stuff over and over again and I sort of got that that that's a thing for people people are quite happy that you're just using what you have and maybe Maybe you introduce a bit of butternut or maybe next time your key ingredient is mm. lentil and kale or whatever. Um, so that, yeah, it, it's it's different. And it's I think people love it for different reasons. And now it's kind of had a cycle, which mm. is interesting because it takes four or five months to, for people to sort of let it seep in it, and yeah. for them to start to embrace it and then to start telling people about it. So I'm getting a new wave of love from the end user, oh, which is good. nice. <laughs> You know, it's like, okay, good. The person at the end who's using the book, yeah. they're happy. That's all I care about, you know. And it's, it feels like a natural progression that you started off telling people about the food that you'd eaten and cooked all your life in Persiana. And then you and then you moved on to Sirocco, which is, you know, your kind of, and it's, it's more about you. It's more about Sabrina's food. And this is how you use or everything you've learned to sort of create these new recipes. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. And and speaking of creating new recipes seamlessly um, into Olive Magazine December issue, in which yes. you've written some. Um, I said to Sabrina, um, well, let's do something entertaining. But you know what kind of what kind of stuff? And she and she sent me these incredible um, um, list of of different recipe ideas and we sort of came down to six that we thought the idea was that if you've got friends coming around you know I'm very much a kind of stick something huge in the middle of the table and let everyone dig in and help themselves that's the way I like to be that's fantastic (laughs) but I love that too so um so we so the, the recipes we've got are all kind of huge generous platters of food and um and, and I guess the idea is you can make one, you can make three, and you just invite people around, yeah. dig in, have fun. So um, tell us about, um, oh, well, this is this is kind of more <laughs> of a, I've stopped at one of my favourite things, because I can't go past a meatball. And uh, this <laughs> combines two of my favourites, which is a spiced lamb kofta meatball, and it's wrapped up in a little puff pastry shell, and then it's got tahini and tomato sauce. I mean... Oh, these just went like wildfire when we did it in the test kitchen. <laughs> and I actually had so many pictures on Instagram sent to me of people making make, them. Yeah. They look beautiful as and well. And yours are not, beautiful, yeah. but like <laughs> the, yours are far more beautiful than the ones that I make at home. And then these people are sending me these immaculate ones. And I'm like, oh my God. You know, the thing is a meatball, when you call it a kofta, that's one thing, but yeah. it's essentially a meatball. a meatball. We all have a meatball in every single culture yeah. of the world. It's it, it, maybe the meat, 
changes, maybe the spices change, the ingredients mm. change. Um, it's very popular food. Kids love it. Yeah. It's really, really simple and it's inexpensive. Yeah. Um, so, and also I kind of, I made a giant one when I was first testing this out because I, I it was on my travels in Turkey and I was like, I saw this guy make something quite similar and I thought, yeah. Coughed and pastry. Oh my god! <laughs> Next level. Le- yeah, totally. And he put it in a beautiful wood fire and had six people carry yeah. it out. You know, I was like, okay, I might need to scale it down. But I remember when <clears> I first was testing it, I was like, what's not to love? This is a co- this is like a kebab Wellington. Yeah, this is awesome. Kebab Wellington. <laughs> what, what a creation! <laughs> We've just invented the kebab Wellington. I love it. And that's a great kind of um, you know with. It is coming up. I'm going to say the C word, Christmas, <laughs> or party season. You've got yeah. people coming around. You can make a huge platter of them, totally. hand them around. And also they're quite hefty because we were talking about, you know, nibbles. I think party nibbles need to be quite decent to get in between the the booze, basically. Yeah, you do need to. And also, you know, I come from a very different culture. Yeah. We don't, if we're thinking about the things that make canapes, it's usually based on French disciplines and perfection and oh, beauty okay, right. and, yeah. and detail, yeah. you know, none of that stuff flies in the Middle East. It's no. wonderful, but they're like, where's the food? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> Feed me. More importantly, it's <laughs> yeah. all about when you have guests, it's <clears throat> about abundance. Yeah, abundance. It's not about expense or showing off in a, oh, look, we have, you know, caviar or whatever. It's about the variety that you offer. And it's essentially inexpensive, simple dishes. Yeah. But Plentiful. Plentiful. So, you know, I like, I always say I like a two, three biter for my canapes and finger food. <laughs> something that you can I think keep that, go, that goes against the classic canapé rules, but I, I, I absolutely <laughs> agree with you because I think it's meant to be a one biter, isn't it? But yeah. I kind of like something you can carry around yeah. for a couple of minutes. But yeah, I mean, so would you say like, it, you know, entertaining or having friends around, you know, it's, abundance is, is important for you. I'm a bit like that. I, I, I would get, I always make, say, twice or possibly three times as much as I'm going to need to feed them and then if boys come around it always gets eaten Eaten. because I would hate to have someone scrape in the bottom of a bowl and there's nothing left in it I mean first of all in my culture that would be the the most the worst thing to befall a host would be you finish the food if if somebody (laughs) says this was marvellous we usually go well you must take some with you (laughs) reluctantly sometimes um yeah the the simple thing is I always think it's better to make extra because so what if you're left over with leftovers you can freeze it or you can eat it tomorrow exactly it's like awesome don't have to cook the next night um I actually had guests on Sunday and you know I've known these people for a long time they're like my family and they can chow like put it away I think I killed them (laughs) I went a little bit excessive you challenged them you put this as a challenge I did I remember it you know one of my friends stayed a little later and I went well you know I'll just we can just hit the buffet again and just do a plate and you know nuke it for you if you want she was like no I think I'm stuffed and I was like oh my god in 20 years i've never heard you say you're stuffed (laughs) i think it's and then there are other ones i mean this this was one of my particular favorites on the in the lift on the way down we were talking about um one of your famous stews and this is a really beautiful uh slow cooked pork with apricot and tamarind and the flavors and that are kind of they're kind of wintry but like the tamarind gives it that little bit of like sour zing and then you've yeah. got spice and it's just like that is the kind of thing I would love to make a gigantic pot of and put in the middle of the table exactly and I think um 
you know, coming up to winter, like all those warming flavors and stuff is coming back. And it, it sort of feels, it feels indulgent. Now, one thing I'm going to pull you up on, Sabrina, is oh I, I've, seen, <laughs> I've seen your Instagram feed. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Sabrina's Instagram feed. Um, there's no cheese in, in these recipes. And um, I happen to know that you often use the hashtag mountains of cheese on your instagram oh my god <laughs> cheese mountain cheese mountain yeah. yeah um tell us about cheese for breakfast pasta with cheese for breakfast so <laughs> i i I, uh, I don't like to use sort of dirty eating for the sake that it contrasts no. clean eating or whatnot i just how i eat is fairly I mean, for some Normal. people it's fair, maybe it is, but I, I have been known to do some quite gross things. But you know what? Food has to be what feels good for you. No. I never pass judgment on people or what no. they want to eat or how they tear things apart. If I feel like having pasta at nine o'clock in the morning, hell come my water is not going to stop me. And actually, if you eat what you crave and you have the luxury of not being tied yeah. to a desk, if like, you know, maybe you work from home and you can do that. Yeah you're more likely to be fitter, happier and and feeding your body what it needs at the time that Absolutely. you need it. I'm 100% behind it. I mean, I think one of the reasons I love your Instagram is it to me, I, I sort of go, ha, I would do that. Or, She's amazing. I think most people do. Yeah, because it's, it's kind of like the diary of, you know, a bit like me, a slightly greedy, happy, joyous yeah. about food person who just wants to kind of you just want to snuffle bits out of the fridge and cook something up and, and kind just of not take it all as too when, seriously yeah, exactly. and yeah. then you know there are aside from that there are beautiful pics of food and um <laughs> I know that you, yeah, and, yeah, <laughs> and you do eat in some really nice restaurants that I've written down and um and and sort of checked out afterwards because I've seen what you've posted. So I'm, I'm sort of, you know, it's a good, it's, I think it's what I think Instagram should be, which is a really nice visual diary of, yeah. of your life, basically. And it's just, I don't take it too seriously. You know, I've had times when I've gone to fantastic dinners. Yeah. May, I've been lucky to be invited. You know, I'm not sort of, it's not something high-end dining no. isn't isn't high on, on my list of mm. things to eat. I mostly like simple bowl food, um, reasonably priced, yeah. quick food from like that's interesting that's what yeah especially the older I get you know that's what I want but when I have gone sort of high-end dining I come home and then suddenly I'm just like fancy a packet of monster munch (laughs) or a cheese toast exactly (laughs) and people are like oh my god how have you gone from you know x restaurant to monster munch and I'm like that's what I crave but you know what like I said, at the end of the day, it's all about the joy of food. And I think your yeah. Instagram reflects that. I think your books reflect that. And I think the feature that you've written for us in this December issue also reflects that. And it, it's, a, it's a testament to your gorgeous recipes. Oh, so, thank you. You did thank a gorgeous you. job shooting. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today. Thank you so much for having me here and for doing such a beautiful job on my <laughs> simple recipes. And if you want, again, if you want to go out and buy uh, Olive Magazine to December issue it's out now if you want to buy Sabrina's latest book Sirocco um that's that's out um would make a lovely Christmas present and with Persiana which is also still out (laughs) and available um and thank you very much Sabrina thank you so much so a big thank you to Janine and an even bigger one to Sabrina not least for the cake she brought to the office thank you very very much please 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 do go and buy the December issue of Olive for her incredible recipes they are just great for entertaining really simple but packed full of flavour and obviously 
dear listeners, it's a big thank you to you for supporting us on our 30th episode of the Olive Magazine podcast. My name is Laura Rowe. I'm the editor and I am very, very grateful for every time you download and listen to us. And if you want to review and rate us on iTunes as well to say how much you've been enjoying all 30 episodes of the podcast, I would be even more eternally grateful because we want to produce 30 amazing more. Remember, you can buy Olive Magazine in all good newsagents and supermarkets. And our big bumper Christmas issue is out on the 29th of November. So definitely look out for that one. You can get a free recipe calendar with every single issue. And if you shop in Waitrose for our Christmas issue, you can even get a free chocolate bar too, a gorgeous divine chocolate bar. So it's definitely worth hunting those down. And for anything else, you can head to olivemagazine.com as ever, where we've got even more recipe content, restaurant reviews, travel guides, loads of good stuff on there. You can keep listening to us on the podcast. You can download our digital app. We are here, readers, listeners, for your pleasure. So thank you again. Happy listening. Happy eating. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>